Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with Ben Hardy. He is a co-host of the Terrain Theory Podcast, and he is also the founder of TerrainTheory.net. And I'm so excited to have you here today. How are you doing? Courtney, I'm great. And thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for being here. So maybe you can give us a little bit of your backstory and how did you dive into this? What made you start this podcast? What made you start this uh, TerrainTheory.net and get into this whole uh, alternative space? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that there's like the sort of shorter answer and then the longer answer. And I'll start with the the shorter answer and try to keep it brief. And, um, And I just want to preface this too by saying that it's been an evolution. Uh, I don't claim to speak for the folks who are doing like the real work in the terrain space. I'm having conversations on the podcast, but there are some giants out there who are devoting their lives. Um, and yeah. they've got a lot of passion in, in this terrain theory, uh, or what they call terrain model space. Um, and so much of what I will discuss here today, like, you know, I'm literally standing on, on the shoulders of those giants and I'm sure those names will come up. I'm not a medical expert. I'm not like medically trained. I'm not like a lot I don't of have a, them are not either. I mean, some of them is, are, but a lot of them aren't. Yeah, this is this is true. Um, this is true, and so we'll sort of get into like what a person with my background is doing, having conversations on something as deep and meaningful as um, as terrain. But uh, you know, I think like for many people, certainly many people who have started podcasts in the last like two plus years, um, really it started with the oh. pandemic. Yeah, it's it started with the pandemic. Like the pandemic was, and so many people we talked to echo the sentiment was like this blessing in in disguise, or at least had some silver linings. Um, you know, amidst all like the suffering that has happened, I think without that event, I don't think many of us would be where we are today. Like with the level of curiosity that we have, um, the level of understanding. Uh, as to how like the world and the systems work and then a, like a vision and a goal to get ourselves, extract ourselves from this current like place we're in to something better. Um, and so that I, you know, I really credit the start of the pandemic. Although for me, like, like I said, the journey sort of started before, but when the pandemic hit, like almost immediately there were talks of like the vaccine, you know, the only way out of this is to get a vaccine. And that was a red flag for me. And then some of the figures that were, propped up um, were also big red flags for me. And so I knew right away, like something isn't right. And, uh, and, I, and I started looking at uh, who was getting sick. Um, it seemed very clear from the outset, like old people, the health compromised, like folks with comorbidities. And so my common sense very early on was like, oh, if you just like take care of yourself and sort of like get your own house in order, you're not going to get sick. This doesn't seem to be as big a deal as they're making it out to be. Like, oh, wow, you know, it's the whole fear levers being pulled by media all over again and big pharma. You know, this is sort of like a playbook that we've seen trotted out. Now it's just happening on a global scale because of how everything's so interconnected. 
Um, at some point early on, just because I was really starting to dial in like the, the idea of taking care of my own health and also looking into voices who were also sort of having the red flags, but are like starting to speak out about it. I came upon the phrase Turing theory. I mean, I never actually encountered the phrase Turing theory prior to the pandemic. Um, and almost like immediately upon reading the phrase itself, I was like, Oh, I understand this. This is the antithesis of germ theory. I under, I, and, and I had already come to question uh, many of the tenets of germ theory. So for me, it was like, oh, I got to look into this. This seems to make a lot of sense. You know, that, that meme that's trotted out so often with the fish bowls and you've got vaccinate the fish or clean the water in the tank. And it was like that one's germ theory, one's train theory. And while that's not a perfect, you know, meme or uh, it's a rather oversimplified depiction of what terrain theory is, like it does make a point and people can look at that and go, aha, I sort of get that. So started going down the the rabbit hole of terrain theory, investigating some of the, the voices who were talking about it at that time made perfect sense. This is all about empowering yourself, which to me was the opposite of what the, the messaging that we were hearing coming from all the health officials and you know those, those figures, the spokespeople and the figureheads, which was uh, wait till the vaccine. Like there's nothing you can do, right? There's no early treatment, uh, wait for the vaccine. Um, if you get sick, go to the hospital and most likely you're going to end up on a ventilator and you're probably going to die, which is like this whole fear, uh, helplessness, hopelessness paradigm. So I was all about the empowerment. So that resonated with me. And as much as I don't care for, you know, the entity, I would do Google searches for terrain theory. Like, what can I find out there on Google? What is Google going to show me? Well, you know, no surprise, like some of the results were, you know, pseudoscience and, um, and so on, but I couldn't find, there wasn't a website that was like branded terrain theory, where it was like a repository of all the information about terrain theory that we knew up until that point. And like, so I come from kind of a marketing, like branding media background. And unfortunately, I have a hard time switching off my like capitalist opportunistic brain like for better or for worse yeah yeah i'm you know i'm 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 a product of you know the upbringing in the society we live in but i was like okay no one like no one's like owns this space so to speak and i didn't go into it from from the idea of like this needs to be monetized i went into it from the with the idea um just someone needs to have terrain theory dot something so that when people go to search for it like i did there's going to be some like meaningful information there that they can start to like go on the same journey that I'm currently on, you know, and maybe arrive at the same, some of the same conclusions or maybe not, but at least like forward the conversation. So I grabbed the, the URL terrain theory.net because I think terrain theory.com, like just to negotiate to get it was like $2,500. So someone owns that terrain theory.com and they're not doing anything with it. Um, again, that's like the branding mind, uh, coming out. So I was like, all right, terrain theory.net's the next best thing. And then I was like, we, you know, same thing. I was doing uh, searches on podcasts and some podcasts, you know, in the descriptions, people had used terrain theory as a description of an episode, but no one was talking about it like as the, you know, the focus of their podcast, at least not that I could tell. So I was like, let's start a podcast. And I, I enlisted um, one of my best friends from my childhood, Mike Miranda. And we, we launched last January was when we started our first um, had our first episode and it was like an origin story. How did we get to this point? Um, we did four episodes. It was just he and I, and then we're like, we got to bring on some guests. And then we just started the parade of guests and really trying to stay true to what is like an open-minded approach to health and wellness. And, um, 
yeah, discovering like one, what is, what is this terrain theory? Uh, and then two, like, what are some of the other unknowns about our world that we need to, you know, we need to solve? Um, so that is, you know, that's like in a nutshell. And I, you know, I just want to say that, um, it's been an evolution and, if to the folks out there listening, I mean, I know you've had like Dr. Andrew Kaufman on your show. I, I, I haven't listened to that episode, but I imagine you talked about terrain. Imagine you talked about, um, viruses and germ theories. I don't know where you stand. Like, do you believe in viruses? Where, what is your stance? So my stance is a little bit nuanced. So I don't know how familiar you are with my story. Um, my birth story. Are you familiar? Mm-mm. Okay, so I, I was born with several complications. My mom was sick during first trimester of pregnancy. So the story goes that I was born with congenital rubella. That, that's the story that we were told. Uh, the doctor actually was dyslexic and read the titer incorrectly. Now, this is, this is just the story. So mm-hmm. if you're in the terrain camp, you may not, you know, ascribe to all of what the story is, is being shared, but as being yep. factual, but this is the story. So it was read as being 112 when it was actually 121. Had the doctor read the titer correctly, my mom would have had an abortion. I would not be here. I was born with several complications. The hospital covered up for the doctor who they knew was dyslexic. My parents actually did sue for my birth. It was called a wrongful birth case because Mm -hmm. the alternative would have been to abort me. And that would have been the only alternative. I'm born with, uh, I'm blind in one eye. I had a cataract on uh, my left eye when I was first born. I am hearing impaired, very significantly hearing impaired. I learned how to speak by reading lips. I didn't get hearing aids. I was almost six years old. I had heart surgery when I was a year old. I was born with hypotonic limbs, fine graphic motor impairment, stunted growth, uh, you know, all sorts of complications. They pretty much told my mom the best she could hope was to find a nice institution for me to spend my life. So... Yeah. So my birth story is centered around germ theory. That is, you know, the crux of it. So it's been a very hard pill for me to swallow. However, I cannot ignore the fact that germ theory has been used to, um, to promulgate the narrative and the need uh, for vaccines for big pharma. And it is a really good fear model. And it, and I, now I've done a lot of, so you are correct. I've had Dr. Andrew Kaufman on. I've also had Alex Zek on. Yeah. I had Sebastian Powell. I've had Don and, uh, Don Lester and David Parker on. Yep. And yep. yeah, so I mean, I've, I've been going down this rabbit hole and it was not an easy one for me because you, you, you know, if you think the general populace who's just been schooled in, in this narrative and, and this way of thinking, has cognitive dissonance, try telling somebody whose entire life has been affected by supposedly a pathogen, right? So it was a very, very difficult pill for me to swallow. But uh, without taking too much time, I'll just add one little, one other thing, the the whole vaccine uh, narrative. So mm-hmm. I had a very dear friend whose son had an adverse reaction to the MMR. Mm-hmm. And this was maybe 10 years ago. She kept talking, I mean, really, every time we met, she would talk to me about this and, uh, you know, the, the perils of the MMR. And I-, I could kind of be open-minded to hearing about possibly their adverse reactions to vaccines, but it was like, that was the one that she would harp on. And understandably, it was personal for her. But for yeah. me, it was kind of like, I can't hear this, you know, my entire life. And I, I, I mean, I just would shut down. I'm like, you know, I'm so open-minded. I will listen to many things. I cannot do this. This mm-hmm. is just, we need to stop because it was constant. And 
really in 2020, I started going down like, like you and so many others, this, you know, the rabbit holes and just diving into all this research. And I, I always say that nobody or very few people, I, I don't, I, I would argue almost nobody goes down the vaccine research pathway and comes back pro vaccine. Because when you start to understand how a lot of these uh, virus models have been tested, most of them have been groundwork just to put forth a vaccine. Um, mm. And most of them have not been done in any way that is humane, scientific, uh, or just, you know, in any way makes much sense at all. So when I look at the uh, history of investigating viruses, there's certainly a lot more questions than answers. So I, all this, I'll sum it up very quickly for you. Where I stand right now is that they are sub-microscopic particles that we're dealing with. And mm. so therefore, the model is theoretical. And so I think the model on both sides is actually theoretical. And my guess is we know a lot less than we claim to. And my my one concern is that both sides seem to be pretty uh, definitive in it and very confident in their assertions. And I... I seem kind of fall somewhere more in the realm of, I think that a lot of what we've been told about vir virology is just a lie because it doesn't, it doesn't add up when you start looking into the studies that have been done. You know, it's mm. not conclusive and there are many holes. However, I think a lot of the assertions on the train camp also are a little bit too conclusive for me in regards to something that you can really only deal in theoretical model realm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that that sounds like the conclusion of someone who's done some critical thinking. I commend you. I, I, seriously, I, I and I do commend you for maintaining an open mind, particularly with that backstory, with that that story, because that is your that is your existence story. So for you to to be able to open your mind and challenge yourself uh, again is um, is commendable. And I and I guess the reason I ask that is because. Um, one, I didn't, one, I didn't know where you stood. So I think that it's in, important to, to sort of know where, where you stand. But also, um, right now within the, you know, the terrain camp, if you want to call it that, um, and then within like the health freedom camp, there's a real split. And I don't know if you're, you know, if you're aware of that, but like the Robert F. Kennedy's and the Del Big Trees all the way up to like the Balones and, and the Coles, um, folks who are maintaining the germ theory, like the existence of viruses, and then those who are sort of like hardcore terrain folks who say, no, viruses don't exist, there is no proof, it's all pseudoscience. And the faster that we all come to this conclusion together, like the faster we can move forward and get out of this fear paradigm. And there is, even within the terrain camp, and this is maybe oversharing, I'm not going to name any names, but there are conversations and disagreements as to how to have these conversations and how to, for lack of a better phrase, lead the horse to water. Yes. And there are some within the camp who, who want to just hammer the hammer mm -hmm. and, and whoever that gets through to, it gets through to. And there are others. And I think this is myself who want to respect that everyone's journey towards discovering truth is very different. And as you pointed out, you're, you're one case, but what a case. And what are the steps that had to happen in your life to get to this point where you can even entertain the subject of maybe there are no viruses or like there's just a lot of unknowns on both sides. 
that's incredible. And I'm sure along that, you've named a couple of the milestones and the moments along the way that led you to this place. And I'm sure there are many more, Definitely which we might Mary talk about. Also a huge part of it as well. I, I should have mentioned her also. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and so that's all to say, and this is really more the message to the listener. Like, I understand that if I jump in here talking that from a place of, uh, yeah, there are no, I don't believe that viruses exist. I did not just arrive there suddenly. Right that it was a, it was an evolution and it took from the start of the, the podcast, like terrain theory, when I started, we were, you know, we, we'd have on like a holistic doctor and I would ask him sort of flippantly, like, so what do you think terrain theory or germ theory? Like there was an, you know, there's an option and he'd be like, yeah, I'm sort of somewhere in the middle, you know, the terrain really matters, but I'm not going to go sleeping with someone who has herpes, you know? Um, and I was like, yeah, that sort of makes sense to me. And I, the further I've gone, you know, researching, interviewing documentaries like Terrain and the Viral Illusion, End of Germ Theory, reading books like Goodbye Germ Theory, What Really Makes You Ill, The Contagion Myth. Uh, you know, I'm just at the point now where I go, germ theory, like there is no foundation. It's pseudoscience that, that you know has been used to arrive at their conclusion that viruses exist or cause diseases. And maybe like you, like there's just way more that we don't know. And I would like to see more of the research money um, and the yeah. folks in just going toward in, into a different direction. Like, can we please explore some different options here? Because, you know, the, the, the experiments that have been done to try to prove contagion resulted in no contagion, you know, so it's almost oh, like know. it's, it's yeah. been disproven. And so therefore what is, you know, the better question is, and these are like foundational questions, like one, how does the human body even work? Yeah. And then two, and this is what everyone wants, is when you when you tear down the old worldview or paradigm, they want it replaced. Exactly. So they're like, okay, so the viruses don't cause disease, what does? And, th and there isn't a good answer for that yet. I mean, um, and that's okay. And that's okay. And I think that there are folks who feel the pressure, perhaps the responsibility to have an answer, like they would come on a podcast like this and feel that weight of responsibility to have very clear answers. And what I'm becoming more comfortable saying is, I don't know, Courtney, I don't know. And that's okay. I really, I really want to uh, address that because that's actually, that's my biggest problem. So when you talk about, you know, some of the split in how to approach this, I, my concern is that even if the majority of the, the train theory camp, for lack of a better, phrasing, it, if they're a hundred percent accurate, my, my problem is that a lot of times and not all of the, not everybody who subscribed to this approaches it this way, but a lot of the times what I experience is they come at you from a very oppositional, mm. very contentious, uh, in some cases, condescending kind of, a uh, you know, a stance. And if you care that much about the cause, and I actually do, because I really do think that we're, you know, the, the whole virology model has been utilized as a fear model to at, to for to advance big pharma. I mean, that's that's what it's that's really kind of the conclusion I've come to. Um, I, I think it goes deeper than that. I don't think it's just big pharma, to be really honest. But you know, that's a that's kind of the top layer that seems a little bit harder to refute. And but. That doesn't mean that, and you, so you're talking about somebody who has really accepted that, you know, there, it probably isn't a pathogen that is causing illness. You know, that's, that's where I'm at. And if I'm at that place, I've been attacked by some of these people. And I'm mm. like, if I'm already on your side, it's just, I'm asking questions, but yeah. most people are not even where I'm at. 
because they've been seeped in this narrative for so long. And if you care that much about the cause, and sorry, this is where I was going with all of this, is that I was saying that I do believe that. And that's why I care about this cause, because I, I want people to stop living in fear. And I want people to stop being dependent on a model and a paradigm that leads them to, to be dependent and sick, essentially, and controlled. That's yeah. essentially what I think this uh, virology model does. And because I care about that and I care about the future of humanity, I care about this issue. However, I think if you really care about it, you have to sort of meet people where they are and you have to entice them. You have to make them want to engage and coming at them from an oppositional stance and or being condescending or, you know, just some of these ways that they're that some people have gone about it is not going to work. And I think if anything, it's going to make people's cognitive dissonance that much stronger and make them feel that much more defensive with their own position. Yeah, I agree. I think it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's like human nature. And it's also, um, it's, yeah, it's respecting where people are in their journey. And then also taking a step back and going like, how, you know, how did you come to this place? Any, any, any of those individuals who are out there, you weren't yelled at, you weren't called an idiot until you accepted it. Like you took some time and reflected and did some research. And, and I think that that's why I wanted to, you know, I thought that it was important to lead with my story. How does a person like me with no medical background just end up in this place where this is, this is where I'm at right now. This is the conclusion that I've drawn. This is how I'm seeing the world right now. But it wasn't like I just jumped in here and went, Oh yeah, that makes sense. I'm just going to accept that. Um, there were a lot of steps along the way that informed that. And I, I think it's important to have one-on-one conversations with folks who are questioning or doubting or whatever to just find out, first of all, where they're coming from and then to share your story. Because sometimes there are moments in your story that that other person can go, Oh yeah. Like it actually, I'm kind of at that place too. And now you're just sort of holding hands, walking along a path that like I've already walked. It's like taking someone up a mount to a mountain on a trail that you've done before. Like you're not going to race up ahead and go, come on, why why are you so slow? Let's go. Like if it's a friend, if it's someone meaningful that you care about, you're going to take your time. You're going to warn them what's up ahead. You'll be like, you know, this is what it's going to be. Okay. There's a rest up here. We're going to take some water. How you doing? You're going to check in. You know, I feel like it's more like that. And that's how we probably need to approach this conversation and any difficult conversations. Yeah. And the other thing I will add to that is when you talked about, you know, the uh, not knowing, because it's one of the things that when I interviewed Dr. Kaufman, for instance, one of the things I really did love about that interview, it, and actually many of the, the people in the terrain uh, theory who subscribe to the terrain theory, many of them approach it this way. And I really respect and appreciate this is where they may have poked holes in the current paradigm, but they, they claim that they, they said, we're not making new claims. We're just saying that the, there, these, the, the burden of proof is on them. And yes. they have not proven. And I really respect and appreciate that. That's the scientific method, right? Correct. Correct. That's actually the scientific method. So, yeah. But I yeah. think the problem is with human nature is that they, a lot of people feel that if one narrative is false, its counterpart there, therefore has to be true. <laughs> right. And that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> no, we are, we are ourselves victims of what we see others who you know, we're trying to teach germ theory doesn't exist to are doing, which is fill the void. Right. Uh, okay. There has to be something. So here's what it is. And trying to have that answer. We just, you know, we don't, I think there's a, there's a lot of interesting research being done. There's a lot of interesting conversations being had. And what I'm trying to do is gravitate towards those voices who are simply open-minded and not dogmatic 
about what we might know now and, um, and are, are, you know, simply are willing and able to say, I don't know, you know, I don't know, but this is where I'm curious. And this is what I think based on what we have so far. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, for, for the, for folks out there listening and I think one of the, one of the requirements to even get like this far to entertain that germ theory might be false is like one, the open-mindedness and then two, like just questioning things. Are you at a place where you're able to question the things that like you've been told, the things that you've been taught? Um, have there been moments along your path where you have suspected that you've been lied to or, or it's been verified that you've been lied to? And for me, it's like, you know, it's wrapped up in authority. And I think that when I was growing up, like my, my mother, God bless her, she's a wonderful, wonderful woman, but she was sort of a, a figure of authority. She really like ruled the house. You know, this is what you're going to wear. This is what you can't wear. No ripped jeans this is what your hair is going to look like. She was a figure of authority very early on. And I think that I, uh, that helped develop in me a sort of like resistance to figures of authority and an inherent, like, I'm just going to push back when I'm being told something and I'm not opting in. I'm not being asked to like opt in on a thing. And, and I think that that paved the way. And I don't think everyone had that childhood. I don't think everyone, you know, were maybe were raised to question authority, but that's almost like step one. And for folks who are able to question authority or naturally do, they're going to be more inclined to start to go down some of these holes that you go down. Like, you know, I see the list of guests and the topics that you, um, that you talk about. But, you know, for me, like, I think one of the, one of the early moments of realization that, um, that were, that things weren't what they were, that what they seemed and that perhaps we were being lied to was like 9 11. You know, just seeing inconsistencies in that story, which look, I, I'm fully aware that folks may now picture me with a, a tinfoil hat on, but at this point, you know, at this point, like with organizations like Architects and Engineers, thank you. Um, but you know, with if it was like the documentary Loose Change 9 11 came out in like 2005, and at that, like, I watched it because I thought it, conspiracy theories were fascinating, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, there's an alternative explanation, and uh, oh, by the way, like, you know, there's some things that kind of don't add up, but some of it also seemed a little crazy and like really wildly out there, so you're not going to trot it out in company or like around the dinner table at Thanksgiving. Um, but like later when architects and engineers for 9-11 truth came out and they applied like critical thinking and really just like analysis of the data and the evidence that they, that they could get, um, it became great. And then also your own, your own two eyes and watching towers come down in free fall, watching tower seven come down in free fall was never hit by a plane. And I know we're going down a different direction for the moment, but that's all to say for me. I actually did a podcast on the parallels between COVID and 9-11. And, and they're there. And, and, but it was for me what people like to call a red pill moment where I went, we're being lied to. Like my worldview shifted and I went, something's not adding up. We're being lied to. And there are figures of authority who we may or may not vote into office, who are just blatantly lying or suppressing truth. And so that opens the doorway for a person like me and and others out there to go like, okay, what else are they lying about? And that's the seed that gets planted. That's the crack in the door that all of a sudden when something like terrain theory comes along and evaluating germ theory, you go, well, okay, I'm ready to question everything because I already think I've been lied to about this, this thing. And, um, and I think similar to you, you know, the cognitive dissonance that you had to face 
or and still do have to face as you examine germ theory because of your birth story, your existence story. You know, similar to me, um, my my younger brother Nate became a Navy SEAL, and he fought. Uh, he was deployed to Iraq a number of times, but the last time he was deployed in 08, we were fighting Al Qaeda. He gets killed in uh, storming a, a compound, and those guys like it was an it was an eye opener to go down to Virginia Beach and really be immersed in that culture during the time when we were you know uh, burying him and all that stuff because the nine eleven memorabilia was everywhere and it was clear that those guys told themselves a story that they are over there because of what happened at nine eleven and. After Nate died and I started to do like real more digging into architects and engineers for truth. And we already knew at that point that, you know, the media had kind of lied to us. So the politicians first had lied to the media and then the media lied to us about why we were in Iraq in the first place, like weapons of mass destruction. And the media like later, you know, did, did the mea culpa, but you know, no, no lessons get learned. So for me, the cognitive dissonance was, you know, I have to square the loss of my brother who believed he was fighting for American freedom alongside his brothers, one of which also fell in that, in that, um, assault, who also believed that they were fighting for our freedom back here with the realization that maybe we shouldn't even been there in the first place. Like the war on terror is like the war on germs, you know, the war on a noun. Um, and, and, uh, you know, how do I, so how do I square like his sacrifice with, which with the question, what was it for? And that, and that's a tough thing. I, you know, I brought that up with, um, my, my dad and he's like, I can't go there. He just straight up said, like, acknowledge the cognitive dissonance. I can't go there, but I've had to go there. And that's just another example of where I think I'm just able to like question more things and, and try to do it from a place of respect. And I don't think you have to like necessarily discard everything right. in order for your worldview to shift. Um, so, you know, again, that's just like a little tidbit of like the sort of story that got me to this place. And then like you, uh, vaccines played a big part, you know, so prior to the pandemic, um, my, my wife, we're separated right now, but my wife, my wife's nephew was not vaccinated. It was like my first introduction to an individual who was unvaccinated. I'd never up until that point, you know, up until my twenties, like I just thought that vaccines were Everyone got a vaccine. I never encountered anyone or any conversation about someone who didn't get it, like whether uh, by choice or maybe they couldn't. And she's like, yeah, yeah, you know, he's, he's not vaccinated and he is end of one, but I was like, no, he's perfectly healthy. In fact, he seems like more healthy than his peers. And also comma, he's brilliant. Like he's smarter than any of his peers. Then I met, um, you know, I played soccer an adult soccer, one of my teammates, I found out his parents never vaccinated him. And it's sort of like this, a side conversation that, uh, friends would have like, you, you know, like so-and-so's, you know, his parents never vaccinated him. I'm like, no, I didn't know. It was the second person I'd ever met who'd never been vaccinated. And also, by the way, he's a freak human being with an engine that doesn't quit, like would go on long distance runs and just never stop. Again, like just anecdotal, but I looked at him like, he's actually seems healthier than any of us and can do freak physical activities that none of us can do. Like, okay, so, you know, seeds get sort of planted and you go, all right, there's maybe something to this. And then in 2016, well, 2015, um, my wife and I were living in, in Vermont. She got pregnant. And we started having the conversation around, you know, vac vaccines. It's like, I, and I already knew which way she was going to go because her nephew wasn't vaccinated. Like, it's part of the family now. She had already done her research. 
And it was a conversation and I was getting pressure from my parents because they sort of suspected at that point because they knew, you know, what she was like and sort of her, her philosophies on this thing started getting pressure from my parents about it. Um, and I think the refrain was like, you didn't live through polio. Like you, you know, you have to understand this is, a, this is an incredible risk. You do understand the risk that you're, you know, put, potentially putting your kid through. And so because of that, and, and I, again, I say this because there might be folks listening out there who are thinking the same thing. Maybe like you're going to have kids or you're thinking about having kids and this is going to be a conversation that you have to have. And I, and I think that parents need to do more research than they're doing on this topic. And I think many parents simply go by the recommendation of their pediatrician and nothing else. And those pediatricians do not do their research on vaccines. They don't know what's in them. They don't know any aspect to them other than the schedule when they're supposed to be given. And that's pretty much it. They don't know how to identify an adverse event. They don't know how to log an, an adverse event. And this is a blanket statement. I'm sure there are some that, that do, but I think by and large, they don't. You don't, it's not an informed consent. So because we were having this conversation and I was not yet of the mindset that like, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to vaccinate my kid. Like I had maybe six years prior done a Spartan race, taking a bad fall, going down a hill. And my shin was gouged by a branch that was sticking up, like just straight through, you know, my leg, just ma- a gaping hole, went to the med tent at the end of the race. And they're like, yeah, you should probably go to urgent care and get that cleaned out. Cause there's a lot of crap in there. Went to urgent care and they're like, when was your last tetanus shot? I have no idea. You know, I don't know. They're like, we'll just shoot. We'll just, you know, we don't know either, but we're just going to give you a shot. Like what just willingly, because I looked at vaccines as like a superpower. Yeah. You're going to just inject this thing and I'm never going to get tetanus. Like I'm safe from whatever, you know, may have happened. That was like six years prior. So for me to get to this point where now we're talking about my son, my unborn son coming into the world and what we're going to do regarding vaccines, I was like spring of, 2016. So, you know, six months before he's going to be born. And I remember seeing a clip on the news. It was um, like Bloomberg and they were interviewing Robert De Niro and another producer. And this was ahead of the Tribeca Film Festival. And I don't know if you remember this, but um, the documentary Vaxxed was set to premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. And then it was pulled last minute and they were being interviewed. De Niro and this producer were being interviewed on why that was being pulled. And I remember I didn't, again, it was like, I didn't know all that much about the quote unquote anti-vax movement. This like mass of mothers who had seen their kids get injured by vaccines. And so this concept, like there's a documentary about the potential link between vaccines and autism, all of a sudden got yanked from Tribeca, like censorship. And that was a big red flag for me. And my mind goes, if I see something that's getting censored, I want to go learn more about that thing. It's, you know, and I thank, I almost thank God for, for censorship because that's how a lot of people have arrived at the discoveries they've arrived at. Um, and so, you know, that got me. Censorship is done. It's just simply to create kind of like disinformation, but. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you're now you're going, you know, 5D chess and you're not wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you're not wrong. I think in this instance, it was that, you know, it was pressure from other producers to not allow this, this link between autism and vaccines, which clearly like the, the industry doesn't want that note. You know, they've been trying to cover that up for, for, for years, for years. Um, and so that was a big red flag for me. And that, that got me really more down that, um, that research hole about vaccines and safety and efficacy. And I think I'd, I'd known about Robert Kennedy Jr. at that point, but um, I can remember like Courtney 
specifically living in our house in Jericho, we're like months out from my son being born. And uh, wow, I'm going to get emotional because I, like, like this is a, this was a moment where my whole worldview shifted and, and the paradigm like crumbled. And I was on the Children's Health Defense site. I was like, I need to do my due diligence. Like, I really need to explore this. If this is the decision we're going to be making for our unborn son, I need to do my due diligence. And my wife and I, like, I think the two nights before had gotten into an argument at a restaurant because I was, she was avoiding the conversation. Like she was set. We're not going to vaccinate. And I was like, but I just want you to admit that it's a risk that if we don't, like we're taking, I just need you to tell me that, that acknowledge that it is a risk. And we, it was like this moment of this like sort of fight. And I was like, fine, I, I really need to do like my due diligence and do all the research I can to understand where she's coming from. And I, on the about page of the children's health defense is really just an interview between Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and someone interviewing him. And he talks about how he coming from a place of like, you know, environmental advocacy really advocating for like clean water was dragged kicking and screaming, like reluctantly, those are his words, kicking and screaming into this conversation about, um, about vaccines and reading that entire interview, which I would, I would encourage anyone out there who is wading through these waters and is uncertain, go to that site, read that interview. Cause for me, my, my, my worldview melted and, uh, and I fell into tears and I ran outside where my, where my wife was. And I was like, I get it. And she kind of looked at me. She was like, yeah, like, welcome, you know, like way to catch up. It's almost like I, you know, uh, turn the path and I'm where she was hiking the mountain. And she's like, where, you know, where you been for this time? And I just remember the physical, like emotional, everything release when I got it, like all the, all the information, all the sort of data and the evidence pointing to like, corruption of the CDC, hiding the connection between autism and vaccines, um, you know, the, the revolving door between the organizations and private industry and big pharma, um, between like the CDC, the NIH and the, and the executives in these, in these industries, like how much money is in it, the cover up of the Marisol, all of that. And it all just came like crashing down on me. And I, I, it was like, I took that step forward into this new world. I was like, yeah, we're not going to vaccinate my child. And I know that he's going to be better for it. Like, I know that this is the right decision. And that's my, like, that is part of my journey. That is such a big part of my journey of what got me here to be able to go into a topic like terrain theory or terrain model and go up against germ theory, which has been with us for so many decades now. And controls, as you said, just like controls, every, it dominates everything. No more so than in the past three years. I mean, it is what controls and dominates every aspect of our society right now. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's commendable to people like you to even have these conversations because you're going up against the Goliath. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I think it's essential. We, we need to go up against the Goliath because they, they are using it to try and control, as you said, every facet of our lives. So I, I thank you for sharing your story about your son. Yeah. I, I wanted to share when you were talking about, you know, the two people you had met who had not been vaccinated. Mm. My old business partner, who unfortunately has passed away, uh, but I had a site, it was called Truth Matters. And he uh, was from a family of one of 11. They had, none of them had been vaccinated ever. And she joined the military. And after two years of being in the military, they found out that she had not received a single vaccine ever in her life. 
she had never even been to like the doctor. I mean, she was very healthy, brilliant, uh, really a, just a wonderful person. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they found out and they gave her a whole series within the span of two weeks. And about two weeks later, she uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And um, the doctors did not mince words. Like they were, you know, a lot of times they don't make the connection. They told her very honestly, they said, you do have a gene, but the it, the vaccine did trigger an epigenetic expression. Yeah. You probably would never have manifested otherwise. What are the ramifications? What are the, what are the consequences to the institution that demands such a thing? There are none. No. Was anyone held accountable? Nope. No. No. And I think that... The consequences. And, and yeah. her consequence was death. She was right. 78 years old. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I think that they rolled, correct me if I'm wrong, but they've rolled back the COVID vaccine mandate in the military. Yes. Right. However, prior to that, she didn't receive right. vaccine. It's just right, traditional, right. quote unquote, vaccine. Yeah. Oh, the whole schedule, which is, well, I imagine, I don't know this actually, is the military require the same full schedule that is required of kids to enter school? Um, Probably more, right? I believe they have even more. Yeah, I more. believe it's more actually because anthrax. And so, yeah, I actually believe it's more, but the the school schedule varies by state, if my understanding is correct. So, uh, but I, I I think it is more than what most require because they they do have. It's a a, a lethal dose, is what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah. Well, they do a lot of experimenting on them as well, you know. So that's. In terms of, you know, testing for things like in the injections, to, they'll, they'll roll them out and they can get the, the beta test. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the heartbreaking pieces. Again, like I think about, I think about my, my younger brother and all these, you know, all these folks who enlist with the greatest intentions. Yes. Like my brother, my brother, I didn't, I didn't know this until after he died, but he would go into battle every time he went into battle. He had a folded American flag underneath his, um, his armor. So like under his clothes, like that's how he went into battle. And a lot of these guys would do the same thing, right? They carry the American flag with them into battle. And I took that as the, the sign that they, they believe fully that they're fighting for us back here, that they're sacrificing. And just to think that, you know, they would go in with that intention, that sort of purity of intention, as misguided as we might, you know, we might say from the safety of our, you know, our desks and behind our computers, um, and be treated that way by our military as sort and of lab rats. All, when I say like they, they're tested on, I mean, we, we know now from declassified documents that, you know, all the DARPA testing that has occurred, yeah. a lot of it is done on the military because they, pretty much own them, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, that, you know, that's the, that's what you sign up for. So they, they have a lot of control and power. And so they've done a lot of testing, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, well, this is, you know, again, part, part of my story. Like I, I'm not in Vermont anymore. We moved to New Hampshire. We moved to New Hampshire and um, right at the end of this past year. We, yeah, I'd lived in Vermont for over half my life and my, my ex-wife was born there. So she'd really li- lived there her whole life. And when the pandemic hit, 
Vermont and the, and the vaccine was ruled out. Um, Vermont very early was trotted out as the, you know, the, the poster state for compliance. We had the highest vaccination rate. And that to me wasn't necessarily the biggest deal because I, I believe in bodily autonomy and choice. So if you feel like that's your best path, fine. Like I didn't, I tried very hard not to judge any of my friends who, who did it, but they knew where I, many of them knew where I stood and I stopped, just stopped talking to me. Um, because the whole fear piece was there and, um, you know, conspiracy theory label. But one of my, you know, one of my friends uh, is a national guard. He's, he's still a friend and we had, we're having conversations as the pandemic hit and the talk of vaccines. And I considered him like a slightly more aware person than most. And he had a lot of questions about everything that was happening. And, you know, that's the back and forth of links of like, who's running the show and what's the real agenda and things like that. And we were talking about the vaccine. And he's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to get it. And so we started exchanging, you know, as much information as we could about the dangers of it, like the uncertainties of it, all that stuff. Um, and he ended up having a conversation. I think it was known that he was thinking of not doing it. And I think you could do like a religious exemption in the military. You do have some avenues to avoid it. And there was a conversation by a superior officer who was like, you, you know, this isn't going to be good. Basically, like this isn't going to be good for your career kind of conversation. And so he, you know, he took it which I think is probably the coercion that a lot of them felt. And, uh, and it's a very touchy subject now. You know, it's just one other, one more example that I'm sure there's millions of people out there where this situation and the choices that people make, like become the wedge between them. And, and I, and, I, and this is also, I guess, to speak to the audience member, the parents, like I think some of the bravest parents out there are the ones who've come forward after their kids have been vaccine injured and speak out against vaccines because yeah. what they are admitting yes. is that they were complicit in the damaging of their child or the death of their child. And I think that's one of the bravest acts that you can it take. Is. And they so what I wrestle with their own guilt and shame and yes. also, you know, meet the, the resistance of those uh, who are against them. So, so admit, admitting that you've made a mistake. And so that's where, you know, I find this, this, um, the sensitivity around the subject with a friend who I knew didn't want to, but did it. And now I think has convinced himself, you know, this was the right thing or just doesn't want to talk about it because he doesn't want to admit that it was a mistake and there's nothing that can be done anyway, potentially, right? What's done is done. Um, but there was a moment in Vermont, uh, we, we had been discussing moving because it was, it was becoming less hospitable to folks like us. There were very few who were standing up and speaking out against what was fast becoming a conversation around, you know, mandatory vaccines. There were private establishments, restaurants that were starting to, you know, trot out the vaccinated only papers, please kind of demand to, um, to gain entry. And so like my favorite restaurant in the town, you know, right down the road, I couldn't get into because I wasn't going to get vaccinated. I didn't have a card. Um, the towns were having conversations, town councilmen, um, council people were having conversations around, you know, do we reinstitute mask mandates? Like I went to a town meeting to speak out against in, imposing a mask mandate. And I was the only person they had, like had Zoom, you know, screen with, um, folks from the town. I was the only person, number one, who was in person who like dared show up in person had to wear a mask to get in 
everyone else zoomed in, including some of the council people who didn't like, who were afraid to come in. I was the only person who spoke first during the public comment, um, out against wearing a mask. And the, I invoked the Vermont state motto, which is freedom and unity. And I said, you know, given, given that there, you can find scientific evidence to support or not support the wearing of masks and that you know you could you could basically the science could point you either way like let's fall back on the state motto which is freedom and unity so what's going to foster the greatest freedom and unity and will clearly being left to one's own devices as to whether or not to wear a mask like that's freedom freedom to choose what goes on your body and i argued that that would also bring us closer as a community because um, you know, choice, just basically choice, um, unifying around the freedom of a, a bodily autonomy. Well, you know, I was, I was, <laughs> like I said, first one to speak, the only one to speak out against it. Everyone else basically like, um, you sort of dragged me over the coals without actually naming me in that, like called me an idiot, stupid, like a threat to the community, so on and so forth. And that was for me, like, okay, this, Vermont might not be the place where I'm going to, you know, continue to raise my child. Um, I don't think that this is going to be the hospitable state that I wish it was. And that I think one of the tipping points, Courtney, was October of 2021, Halloween time. One of our neighbors, who were well known for having a really ornate Halloween display in front of their house, like they, they were in sort of the middle of the town. Everyone would drive by, see it. Like they always spent a lot of time and a lot of thought putting together like kind of funny, like cheeky Halloween displays that might be spoke to, you know, the zeitgeist of the time and drove by and they had a series of skeletons arranged in a circle in chairs, like folding chairs, drinking beers, like having a good time. And in the middle was a, like a bonfire pit and there was a stake. And on that stake was another skeleton with hands tied behind its back and legs tied to the stake and a sign that said unvaccinated around its neck. And I tried in my mind to give them an out, like maybe I'm not interpreting this like the way that they're interpreting it. Like let's burn the unvaccinated at the stake and sort of all gather around and enjoy it. Um, but it made its way, the scene made its way to um, like Facebook pages dedicated to the town and like people were just cheering and supporting it and thinking it was a great thing. And so here I was in this like beautiful green mountain state. Um, and my neighbors were basically saying that I should be burned at the stake. And that was a real, I, and this was, you know, again, this was like before the start of the podcast terrain theory. And this was one of the moments that I was like, I, something just isn't right in the world. Like we're being divided over this thing. Um, and my neighbors think that I should be burned at the stake because I believe in bodily autonomy. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I wish your story were more unique. Uh, not that, you know, I'm happy you had that experience. I mean, it's awful. But unfortunately, I feel like I we, I hear so much of this. You know, that they, they were it did create so much division. And it, that somebody just thinking that you should be able to have bodily autonomy was demonized, lost friends, lost, you know, lost so much. And it, I mean, I experienced it as well. You know, it was, uh, some of the experiences I had were really surreal, like surreal. Uh, one of the final, you know, I won't go into the whole story. I actually wrote an article about it, but one of the 
final prompts for me to leave uh, Santa Monica was at, at an eye doctor's office and there's nobody there. And I wouldn't wear my mask because it was causing chalazians in the eye that I see out of. And that's the reason I was there. You know, I'm blind in one eye. So it's kind of a concern if I'm getting a chalazian in the eye. So yeah, the, they circled me, no joke, in like a semicircle chanting. It really felt like a chant. And they just kept saying, comply, comply, comply. And finally, that one of them interrupted and said, excuse me, miss, you have to comply. If you don't, we're going to have you arrested. Mm. Yeah. So it's shame, shame, shame. But not just shame, fear. We're going to have you arrested. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you are going to pay dire consequences if you do not comply. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, Children's Health Defense and I, I know I, I've trotted them up a couple times here on this conversation. I don't necessarily ascribe to everything that they, you know, they, they, they stand by and, and put out there, but they recently released a documentary by Vera Sharab, who's the Holocaust survivor, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I think that everyone should go, or at least part one of it. And for me, I, I listened to Vera Sharab early in the, in the pandemic when the vaccine was getting rolled out and you saw countries like Israel. And she's Jewish. She's a Holocaust survivor. Um, she was seeing her, you know, her country, Israel, uh, imposing like some of the strictest mandates of all. And when she booster after booster, I mean, booster after booster. Yeah. And so when she started comparing back in 2021, maybe even a little bit earlier, she started comparing what was happening now to what was happening to her during the Holocaust, her and, you know, her family during the Holocaust. Um, to me, that just like blew the doors wide open because if you're seeing a Holocaust survivor start to draw the parallels and speak out against it, it's like, okay, you can make the comparison because they're doing that. And this, this documentary, which I, I encourage everyone to watch, although, you know, again, I'm supposed to be speaking from a terrain theory, terrain model, like there are no germs, there are no viruses. They do, you know, talk about COVID as really existing, maybe a bio, you know, bio, uh, bioweapon, you know, manufactured in a lab. Which, Bioweapons are not germs. There is a difference. Yes, there can be. Yes, there can be. Um, I, I uh, only made this point even with uh, Dr. McCullough. Uh, we didn't really get too deep into it, but you know, he had been talking about, I, I was surprised by his, um, it was a short, you know, in-person interview. So we, we didn't have time to really go too in, deep in the weeds. And he had apparently done that the night before. I could see he was not up for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he was very gracious about, you know, there was, I asked a couple of questions and, you know, I did say, make the point about bioweapons versus germs. And he was at least receptive, which I, I really respected and appreciated. Yeah. No, I, and, and, and again, like we, we don't know, right? right. <laughs> who, who knows? And one of the answers that, uh, you know, Dr. Tom Cowan, who's a central figure in this conversation around terrain and, and tearing down germ theory, like, as he, as he said, we don't know what's going on in those labs. Who knows what's going on in those labs? Um, and this, you know, this does speak to the terrain model. Well, let me just finish, just finish Sorry. my thought. And that is that I, I think that, uh, you know, I think folks, should go watch that documentary because if you're seeing the Holocaust survivors, people who come out of that sounding the alarm on what's been happening the last two years, like we really need to, we really need to, 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 to take, to take notice. Um, because we are right at the precipice of going down that road again. I mean, in many respects, what happened to you is just that, like that is a step along the path to going right back down that road and the mechanisms that are being put in place, as you know, cause you're covering this stuff like CBDC, um, you know, the transhumanism movement, uh, all of that, like that all is going to lend itself 
to the imposition of those same sort of conditions, like a two-tier society and like the basic extermination of one subset of people who decided not to go along with authority, who are considered like unclean. And I think this documentary does a really good job of at least like showing those parallels and also interviewing the people who were there, who, you know, lived through it and survived it. So I, that's as, as powerful a story, I think, as can be told right now at this time. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't seen it. I, I will check that out for sure. But I agree with you. I think that the it's the same trope that they used back then. Uh, you know, the whole narrative was that the Jews were unclean and it was uh, once again a germ. They it was the the fear of tuberculosis. Yeah, what they were selling. And that was the reason that the Jews need to be exterminated. And yeah, yeah my story is absolutely, uh, you know, they, we can save that for another time. But yeah, yeah I mean, like, call you know, your... disabled children should not be be born and that, that the whole eugenics movement. So Right. Yeah, you are a living miracle. I mean, that's incredible. I'm so um, grateful to learn your existence story, as it <laughs> were. You. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, it's incredible that a mistake in misread uh, has resulted in you being here right now. What yeah, I'm very grateful. <laughs> yeah, what an incredible. And and but you're and you're putting that time. You're putting your time here to really great use. Um, asking difficult questions and having conversations and remaining open-minded and also Courtney, like standing up against, you know, powerful forces that would want to strip us of our freedoms and our rights. So that's a brave, that's a, that's bravery. That's a sort of brave action. So I'm inspired by that. Thank you. Well, I'm honored to inspire you. I know we don't have a whole lot of time. I want to be respectful of your time, but I want to ask before, before we wrap in terms of, your recent journey through this, uh, the terrain theory model and in exploring other people's experiences, what have you seen with people taking ownership of their own health? Because I think part of the reason why the virology lie is so, uh, pernicious is because it, it makes people victims. And that's why they're scared because they feel helpless, as you said, helpless and hopeless. And people do feel like they're, they're trapped and then they they allow themselves to be uh, subjected to the control mechanisms. But we actually have a lot more control over, I mean, there are a lot of things outside of our control, but there's actually a lot more in our, within our, our control than they would like us to believe. So I'm curious what you've witnessed and heard. Well, yeah, as I said, that was really what first um, struck the chord as I looked into terrain theory, that it felt to me all about empowerment. And I tried to like be succinct about it or maybe even a little bit cute uh, as I created the website, which again is not like the, it shouldn't be viewed as the authoritative website on all things terrain. Like I try to keep it as updated as I can. Um, but there's, there's so many others out there who are having this conversation, but I, I, I list the three A's, um, awareness, agency and accountability. And so the first step is what you and I are doing right now, these conversations and what folks are doing listening for us. And that is like becoming more aware. So how do things work? How does the world work? How does the body work? How does health work? How does sickness work? How does, you know, what, what causes disease? What causes illness? First thing, first step is awareness. And then the next one is agency. So with that awareness comes the understanding that like, wait, I have control. I'm in control of my health outcomes, like way more than I've been led to believe. Um, and yeah, you know, you look at the, the list of uh, methods of indoctrination, and they go, "I've got a six-year-old, so I'm reading him Bernstein Bears." Uh, 
And I've got this little, actually, I got it right here just for you. Storybook favorites. And it's okay. like six. It's like six. Have you ever read the Bernstein Bears? I have, yeah. Yeah. So um, six six of the stories condensed into this hard uh, hardback, hardcover. And one of them is Sister Gets Sick. So this is a story I'm reading to my child about sister waking up and, you know, she's got a fever. And so mama bear has to give her medicine for her fever. And then mama bear takes care of sister bear for the day. And then at the end of the day, guess what? Mama bear's sick. And papa bear goes, it looks like mama has a touch of, you know, whatever sister had. So this is like a method of indoctrination, just talking about what, you know, sickness and that you can pass it. And that if you have a fever, you take a pill. Um, you know, this, like this, this, uh, it's pernicious and, and it's insidious that it starts at a very young age, but so understanding like first awareness, what actually is, and then agency that you're not a victim to this germ. You're not going to get necessarily like your brother coughing on you and, you know, you're going to get sick, but actually the things that you eat, the things that you put in your body, those inputs, the toxins that you are either exposed to or can avoid stress in your life and how you, how you handle that stress, how you mitigate that stress, how you process that stress. Um, these, these are the things that you can start to control. And then accountability, that we're not outsourcing our health outcome to a doctor or, uh, or to our genetics, but like we're holding ourselves accountable for that health outcome. We're not blaming our coworker who showed up to work with a little cough or a sniffle. Now, you know, we've got that cough or a sniffle. We look first to the things that we put in our body or failed to put in our body, the poor lifestyles or poor lifestyle choices that we may have been making. Um, and look at that first as the places to correct to like, as, as we say, try to achieve an impeccable terrain, which is probably not possible, but at least it's like enlightenment, right? Every step we can take towards getting there is going to be a positive one. No, absolutely. And yeah. I agree with you. That's very empowering because it's something that we, we have some control over. It's something we can do. You know, right. Right? We, we can take a lot of uh, control over the environment that we're in and the things we put into our body, the way we manage our stress, you know, our, our day-to-day habits. So much of that, you know, and then of course, you know, there's all the, we look at all the things they did for the past two years, three years, it, it was everything that's antithetical to building that great terrain, right? All this social interaction, they were yes. atomizing us and social interaction is one of the strongest immune, you know, I, I'm ca- careful. I put that in air quotes for those listening <laughs> immune. I, I, I'm not, I don't mean that in the, the sense of uh, the virology sense sure. of the word, but you know, it, it boosts <laughs> our uh, well-being if we are social interaction the, the people who live the longest were the people who had were surrounded by loved ones and you know many studies have, have shown so and they you know they put us in uh you know, they atomized us they kept the the gyms closed but the liquor stores and the donut shops were open you know you know i i don't need to go through the whole litany but we we can look at all the things that they did and that they advised, and it seems to be the complete opposite of everything that would build a, you know, I, I guess not necessarily ideal, but a much more optimal terrain. <laughs> I would I would agree. We had so um, over the summer there was a, a festival music festival that my co-host Mike puts on in upstate New York called the Hoot, and it's all it's mostly music, but this year. He invited me to moderate a panel discussion on the main stage about food and medicine. 
And so we had um, we had a bunch of folks who had been on our on our podcast. Will Padilla Brown, who's a mycologist. Dr. Cowan was there. And then we had this guy, Dr. Covell McDermott, who is like a sort of a plant biologist. Um, and so one of the questions I asked was, um, you know, given the challenges of modern society, how do you take the piece of advice, let food be that medicine, and let your medicine be thy foods? Like, how can a person in the audience? sort of actually apply that given the challenges that we face in modern society. And Dr. Covell McDermott turned it back around. He said, the first thing you have to ask is what is food? And when Don, um, Don and David talk about what really makes us ill, they talk about, you know, malnutrition, like a lack of nutrition. So what is food? And it's a really interesting question. And I think that the, the audience members should ask that as well. And we think of food as the things that we put in our body, like what we eat, that we consume, but he s- sees food as the sun hitting the hill, hitting people on the hill, his bare feet touching the ground, yeah. being up on stage next to people, a hug, you know, all of these things he considers food. And these are the inputs that I think have such a great and enormous impact on, on your well-being, on your overall well-being, physical, spiritual, and emotional. And I think that that's just a, a, a wonderful reminder to, um, to examine these questions, these common words and phrases and go, well, what, what does that really mean? And that's also to speak to what you said is we were cut off from our food. We were cut off from that which nourishes us. Yeah. And when you, when you look at it that way, the conclusion I reach is we were starved. We were intentionally starved and that's a crime. <laughs> and for that, Courtney, I demand accountability. (laughs) Likewise, likewise. I would like this some accountability on so many levels. I mean, I think that this is, you know, this is definitely one of the rabbit holes I go down because I think it is so incredibly important because once again, if we don't have, you know, this this fear mongering, then they can't coerce people the way that they have. They can't sell the, you know, the big pharma model. They can't, they can't poison us to the same extent. So I think people have a lot more recourse and uh, uh, they're, they're better armed if, you know, the, the lie is sort of, if the veil has been pulled. So I think it is really important, but it, it, it's across the board on so many, so many levels. I mean, there's just accountability for so many of the crimes it, that, yeah. It, it begets, um, you know, and a, a follow-up question, or really more a dilemma that that I'm struggling with personally. I see others in this space, not just like the terrain, you know, terrain model or terrain theory space, but also folks like you who are in the broader, like what we should call maybe truth seeker yeah. space, um, understanding that the system that we're in right now is is incredibly broken and also incredibly dangerous to us, and that is. Given that we have a finite amount of like energy and attention in a given day, where do we direct that? So we can one, try to go up against the Goliath and try to take it down and dismantle it or burn it or whatever that looks like. Or we can walk away and try to create this new thing, this better thing that's that, that, that uh, better reflects our values. And that, I don't think there's an answer to that. I think that that's an individual thing. And I don't know where, where you stand on that. I mean, just having the conversation, I try, you know, we try on the podcast to balance those conversations out. And I think that we lean more towards the building of the, you know, the bright new world. And as, as my co-host Mike likes to say, like, sing about what you're for, not what you're against. 
but there's a brave new world of uh, uh, freedom and truth-oriented, healthy people, not the brave new world of soma and uh, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, but and the, but the the challenge, I think, the very real challenge that faces us is slave masters don't just let their slaves walk away. Right. They don't just let them walk away and break free from their chains. Right, and feudal masters need youths to do their bidding. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think that there is, you know, I think that there are a couple of realizations that, that take us into potentially a dark space. Um, but, but out of or through that darkness is the light. And one of them is that maybe we are like, we are at war. One is the realization and war is a, is a very ugly thing. War is a very ugly term. It's an ugly thing and it invokes ugly imagery, um, for good reason. So are we at war? It feels like we are. And when you are at war, there's an adversary and you have to pour energy into defeating that adversary. Because I don't think that that adversary, like I said, is just going to let people walk away. One, two, physically in the material world, where do you walk away to? We've got plenty of folks out there who are advocating for buying land and homesteading and, and getting chickens and all that, which by the way, I'm planning fully on doing in this new home in Lancaster, New Hampshire, but they'll come for you. And they already are. There are, there are, there are systems and mechanisms and protocols in place to corral us and to remove the freedoms to do the things that we want to do to build this brave new world. Um, Yep. Yeah, exactly. The 15 minute city and Boston's already signed on to that. Like how many cities near you have, I've already signed on to that without your, you know, without your knowledge. Right. Without your consent. Yeah. And these are, and they are coming after. So you asked about, and I, I, I'm very, I'm very curious your thoughts on the, these parallel systems. And there's some people who are, who are working on them and doing incredible work. They're doing yes. incredible things. I'm so grateful they're doing them. But my concern is that, yes, how much the, those that have created the system, which in which we are uh, immersed currently, are not going to just easily let that system be dismantled. And they're not going to so easily let people just opt out of that system if they need them. So I think they will to some extent, but then who will they come after after? So I, I wrestle with this a lot. I, and I do agree with you that it's personal, but I think, and people need to take care of person first, you know, take yes. care of yourself, take care of your family. I, I strongly advocate for that. Absolutely. That's first and foremost. But then I really wrestle with, you know, is it best for people to completely opt out of the system and build the parallel systems or do you build parallel systems simultaneously while still fighting the system? And I, I lean a little bit more towards that because I think both really do need to happen. I obviously don't have the crystal ball. I don't know what's going to be effective. But I think that there does need to still be a fight within the system because they need to, there needs to, for enough people to be awake, there needs to be a signal of the resistance. The resistance needs to be shown for people to see that something, a lot of people still have no idea anything is going on. Yeah. You know, that's why things like terrain versus germ theory, it's like one of the furthest narratives for people to dive into because 
there's so much else that is just overwhelming. Right. Right. Oh, I, and I, and I, that goes back to my desire to tell my story, to, to, uh, yeah. allow for the stepping stones along the way. These are what they were for me to arrive at this Nothing. point. And yeah. I don't, I don't, ex- people learn, people learn through storytelling. We're, we're yeah. mythological creatures in that regard that we learn by proxy, by hearing stories. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. No, I, I, you know, I, th- there is a, um, the, what is it? The truism when you chase two rabbits, you don't catch any of them. Uh, so splitting your energy between fighting and building. I mean, I just don't, I don't have the answer, but I, I just sharing that that's what I grapple with right now. That, that is a dilemma. And I see others grappling with that as well. And, um, you know, I think that we, I think that we have a collective vision or we're getting to a place where we have a collective vision or we have the understanding of like the pillars, the foundation, the principles that we want to carry into this new world. Um, I don't think we we're anywhere near close to fully realizing it or understanding even what it's going to look like, but um, I'm excited for it. And I'm, you know, humbled and grateful to be sort of on this, on this journey and feel like fighting the good fight with folks like you and coming on this podcast and, you know, sharing all of this. So Likewise. Yeah. Thank you so much. And and I understand what you're saying about dividing the uh, the energy. I don't know if I think individuals should do it. I'm just saying that it's a, when you completely opt out, right? Opting out is like forfeiture. Mm-hmm. And so I wrestle with that. Do, do you forfeit and just completely, and if you do that, even if it's not forfeiting, even if it's really just taking care of, you know, your own sovereignty, which I absolutely advocate, how much how much power do you really have in that? Because as we know, they're doing these 15 minute cities and then going after the rural land. Yeah. You know, they're, they're already trying to swoop that up and they've already put in measures to do so. So even people who think that they're outside the matrix, they're still victim potentially. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the, at the end of the day, and this actually brings us back to the very beginning. Hmm the the way that we have these conversations and i guess i'm speaking about you know myself and folks in the in the terrain camp this is about for me if we are at war then we are we are in the phase of finding allies and building an army and the way that we find allies and build an army is to awaken people make people aware of how the world really works and so what is the best and most optimal way of doing that? And that's, you know, again, coming back to square one. What are the, you know, a Socratic dialogue really is what it comes back to. Just ask questions of a person and let them arrive at the answer themselves. Start at a place that feels familiar to them, that might be easy based on what you know about them. And then work, you know, work upward from there to um, there no such thing as a virus and all our beaters are reptilian. <laughs> whatever you want, you know, whatever crazy thing you sort of end up at. I don't, you know, again, I don't know. Yeah, I, I certainly don't know. But yeah, yeah. I, I love the asking questions and hopefully the questions will at least to bring us to closer to the truth or if it, at the very least it will poke holes in the lies. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I do love about uh, so many people in the during camp are doing is they're poking holes in the lie. I mean, there's so many, you brought up polio. You know, I, I up until fairly recently, I didn't know the story of the polio vaccine. And, you know, of course, I believe that that saved ever and had, had no idea that, you know, it was a sanitation issue. Like, right. and that the, the vaccine actually caused more outbreaks. Like, 
we were not taught these things. So, yeah, I mean, that's just one example. But they are really doing very deep work to ask very, very valid, relevant questions, insightful questions, and poke holes in, you know, areas where the burden of proof just isn't there. Correct. Yeah. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, so I'm going to let you go. But this was wonderful. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me and for doing the work that you're doing. And please, if you have anything else you want to add, please do and tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, well, thank you again, Corny, for uh, for having me on and allowing me to speak um, speak about Terrain, Terrain Model, somewhat on behalf of the folks doing that work. TerrainTheory.net is the, the name of the website. We have a resources page. Um, we're listing the books that I've read and that others in this space have read to get them to this this place. Um, the links to some of the documentaries that we recommend you watch, some of the articles and pieces that are out there, um, as well as the podcast episodes with interviews of folks in the terrain theory space. Um, we've brought on folks for terrain transformation stories. So these are people who are suffering from some sort of chronic illness or autoimmune disease that they were never going to uh, shield themselves of and stepped outside the allopathic model and heal themselves naturally through nutrition or medicinal herbs, plant medicine, clean water. A um, number of these really inspirational stories for folks out there who might be suffering from something and feel very helpless. And there's maybe another way, another option. And some of that, some of those options and um, fall within like the terrain theory or terrain model camp. So go check that out. And again, Corny, thank you so much for having me on and for doing all the good work that you're doing. You are an ally and uh, an lioness and can't, can't say enough good things about you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, until next time. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.